We're so glad you've joined us. Right now, it's Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. Double D is with us today. (laughs) Daryl Dash is the pastor. He's been a pastor for 25 years at Liberty Grace Church in Toronto. And he's also the co-founder of Gospel for Life and director of Advanced Free Church Planning Institute. And he's with us today to talk about his book, Eight Habits for Growth, A Simple Guide to Becoming More Like Christ. Thank you so much for being willing to be a part of our show. Oh, my privilege. Thank you for having me on today. Oh, I love your accent, eh? I be- thought you had an accent. <laughs> yeah. Beauty day, eh? <laughs> Depends on who you're talking to, I'll, right? I'll try to say about and roof and all those things that yeah. we say differently here. Out and about in a boat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I grew up in northern Michigan, close to the Upper Peninsula, where uh, there is the Canadian accent in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. So I absorbed some of that growing up. I really miss the border being open. I can't wait to get down to to your area again. When you are down in this area, it would be so fun to have you in studio. Yeah, I would love that. I'll let you know. Awesome. That'd be great. Cool. Well, we'd love to kick off by just first hearing your faith story. How did you come to know Jesus and why did you decide to give your whole life to him? Yeah, I grew up in a Christian home. Well, I say that, but the reality is my father was not a believer. Mm -hmm. And I really got to see my parents went through a breakup fairly early when I was four or five. Mm -hmm. And I just got to see the difference that Jesus made in my mother's life. And I got to see what it was like not to have Jesus in my father's life, not to put my father down. My father was a wonderful man, but just to see there was something in my mother that couldn't be explained, humanly speaking. Mm. And that just made Jesus compelling for me. And, you know, I grew up in a church and it was a funny little church, a lot of flaws, a lot of characters. And yet in these ordinary people, I really saw Jesus. Uh, You could almost write a novel about them. And they were also ordinary, also flawed, and they all shone with the beauty of Jesus. And that just made Jesus so real for me growing up. Hey, what is one one thing that you saw in your mom that made you want Jesus? When I got together with my father, he would always badmouth my mother, and I, there'd be a litany of all the ways that she had failed. And my mother, I never heard her say one negative thing about my father. Now, it was hard for her because she knew I was getting a lot of criticism about her. Mm -hmm. And she never said a word in her defense ever. Well, that became just something that was like, man, I want to be like my mother. It was hard. She went through an incredibly stressful period. And I think she was hospitalized for stress at one point. Mm -hmm. But just to see the reality of her commitment to God, the love shining in very difficult circumstances, it was so clear that the spirit was at work in her life. Tell us a story of one of the people in that I don't know how you phrase the church, kind of a goofy church. What did you say? <laughs> a quirky. Quirky. Yeah, yeah, quirky. Tell us about one of the quirky people and what drew you to Jesus through them. One of my heroes was a man named Don Taylor, and he worked in a factory. He didn't have, you know, it was an okay career, but it wasn't an amazing career. His wife wasn't a believer. His children were, you know, known for not being totally on board. <laughs> And he taught us Sunday school. Every year, we would be promoted to the next grade. And I was so excited. And every year, he would be promoted to teach us too. (laughs) That's awesome. And it was this little cinder block room in a basement of a church where he showed up every week. And he had a hair lip. He looked funny. He only spoke in one volume, very loud. (laughs) I knew two things about Don Taylor. 
Yeah, even though he really didn't have a lot going for him, he loved God. I could tell it was very genuine. Mm-hmm. I think kids are able to tell if something's real or not. I could yeah. tell he really loved the Lord, and I could tell he loved us. What would it make a man to get up every Sunday and go to a church basement and put up with a bunch of three bratty kids? Well, it just became clear he loved us. And even though he was very ordinary, I just saw, you know, I want to be like him. I want to be showing up for other people the way that he showed up for me. And one one experience earlier in life when you you knew that God was with you, that you experienced his presence, like, wow, this God is real. Yeah, I I was actually singing a hymn and loved with everlasting love. And I had it memorized at one point. I don't think I do anymore, but it talks about how the world is more beautiful for those that know God. And I remember just having a moment of, oh man, this is true. That. Mm. <laughs> The whole world takes on a different hue when you know the creator. And it's not like we live in a state of perpetual bliss or anything. We still have problems, but it really does have a different hue to it and a beauty that you didn't notice before, even in the middle of hardship. So I remember the presence of God being very real, singing about that for him. I remember very clearly. I love that choice of words that it has a different hue. It so describes what we experience. You know, we're not immune to the hardships of the world, but we see them differently. We experience them differently. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing. I I used to have this image of, of people who are holy being, I don't know, sort of dour and serious and not that fun to be around. And what I've discovered is actually for people who who are close to God, it's not like their lives are problem-free, mm-hmm. but there's just a joy about their lives, uh, there's something attractive about them. And I think it's because they've discovered the beauty, even in the middle of the hardship or the, the realities of life that are not always easy. Talk about why habits are so important and how, you know, the Holy Spirit is integrated into building those habits. Yeah. So about half of our lives is lived by habit. We don't even realize, but every day we wake up and we just do things Mm -hmm. automatically. I do the same thing when I wake up every day, almost Um, sometimes not even good things, right? But a lot of our life is lived by habit. And so if we figure out how can we do things that help draw us closer to God, then it really can be uh, a powerful thing to put that on autopilot. But here's the thing. We know that we can't live the Christian life on our own strength. And the power actually isn't in the habits themselves, right? It's almost like the habits are an appointment with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. And when we show up, for instance, and open the Word of God, well, actually doing that, apart from the Spirit, has no power whatsoever. But when we open the Word of God and the Spirit meets us there and brings us to the presence of Jesus— then that becomes a powerful thing. The same thing with church, all of the habits really, they're just ways of almost setting an appointment with the Holy Spirit Mm. and putting us in a path of grace to do the things that the Holy Spirit has promised to bless. So it sounds like prayer has to be really, really a part of, you know, as we practice the habits, prayer has to be a part of this because it's lifeless without me saying, God, would you, would you come into this would you come into this time of worship or Lord, would you come into this time of me being in your word? Yeah. And prayer is so hard. I find, I don't know anybody who says that they've nailed their prayer life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone I talk to says prayer is a struggle. Even people that I would consider to be really good at prayer. And I think we go through those periods where prayer does feel hard. It feels lifeless. It feels like there's, there's nobody on the other end there. 
But even there, just trusting that my feelings aren't always reliable and crying out to the Holy Spirit, Lord, give me a sense of your presence. But being aware, I mean, I've been married now 30 years. I want to be honest. My marriage hasn't always been easy. It's a joy. I'm so grateful for my wife. And yet there's been those periods where it's been more, I don't know, it it feels like it's not always like the joy is there, right? But if we keep at it, the joy returns. It always Mm -hmm. does. But you go through those periods where it's okay. It's a commitment right now. Mm -hmm. It's not because I feel like it. It's because I've, I stood and made vows before God and people 30 years ago. I'm going to keep at it. I think there's this gritty reality to our spiritual habits as well. Mm -hmm. We don't always do it because it feels good. We do it because God has invited us to meet him in these ways. And we just believe if we keep showing up that he will be faithful to meet us. So you've written an entire book about developing habits that will help us to become like Christ. What's the story behind your book? How did that, you know, find its place in your heart? Great question. It actually happened a couple of ways. My wife got a job with a nutrition coaching company, and that sounded to me like the shadiest company in the whole world. (laughs) And I began to discover they were actually very reputable. They had PhDs in nutrition, and I watched her begin to change. She began to practice these habits nutritionally, and she lost about 70 pounds, not doing anything crazy. It took a long time. And that got me thinking, man, what are the, you know, if they had PhDs in nutrition, what about my love of theology? How can I actually translate that into simple things that people can build into their lives? Well, I was a pastor, a church planter, and I was looking at my people realizing, I'm not sure I'm giving them habits to take home. You know, they're Mm -hmm. good at coming to church, but I don't really see all of them knowing how to read scripture or build a prayer life. So it was really watching my wife change and beginning to look at my people wondering, how can I help them make the same progress spiritually that she's making nutritionally? And that got me thinking about not a book, but actually writing a bit of a course for the people of my church. And so you did that. And what happened in your church? Yeah. So we did it and we basically set it up as a coaching program. I think originally it was seven habits, not eight. And we began to work through it with people. And my wife would coach the women and I would coach the guys. And a couple things happened. First, we got to know our people in Mm -hmm. a really powerful way. So going through these habits with people is such a good way of connecting with people. And the other thing that happened is uh, some of our people got unstuck. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no power, as I say, in these habits, right? It, if people read the book or, or even do the habits short term, it won't make a difference. But we did begin to see people build them into their lives. Life was still hard. It was still a slog. But we really did see people begin to, to grow and change as a result of building these into their lives. So do you remember which one got added in? The eighth one was like, wow, this has got to be in there. Oh, yeah, I do very well. Uh, <laughs> the one that got added in was to care for your body. Mm. And that was partially because I think that theologically, I think we we neglect that, right? We focus on our souls and think that God doesn't really care about our bodies. And then I think it also got added because we're real people. We just began to realize people can be doing all the habits, but if they're not getting enough sleep, if they're not you know, getting some movement in their lives, if they're not caring for their bodies, they really can't do the other habits. So yeah, yeah we, we added that in. My wife actually threatened me that if we didn't add that in, 
that she would have words with me. So I listened to her and she was right. <laughs> she wise. often is, by the way. <laughs> I think there's so much wisdom in that. I think I heard Ian Crone, you know, speak about meeting with a mentor and saying, man, I'm stressed. I got this going on. I got that going on. And the mentor was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. How are you sleeping? Tell me about your eating habits. Mm. Are you exercising? Yeah. And he was like so annoyed because he's like, you're not listening. I'm telling you, there's all these overwhelming things going on in my life. And he's like, no, you're not listening. This is like yeah. elementary. You got to start here. I love Don Carson. Don Carson is a great theologian. He's written all these books. I don't even understand half of them. He's brilliant, right? Mm -hmm. And he said that sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is have a nap. A brilliant theologian can say that. I really believe that. If you're <laughs> overtired, take a nap. It's good. <laughs> I'm headed for the couch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go right now. That's right. I love this guy, Daryl Dash, pastor of Liberty Grace Church in Toronto. And... You know, Shauna, you should have written this book because this book is <laughs> I you. I want to read this book. I want to read this book so much. Eight Habits for Growth. Mm -hmm. Simple, repeatable patterns. I, you're just speaking my language. You're saying all the things that perk my ears up right. and make me want to pay attention. I know. This is such good stuff. Yep. One of the other habits is rest. Can you talk a little bit about that? And what's the difference between the sleep and caring for your body and the rest? The whole rest thing, I, I, we're just so busy. Uh, everybody I know is so stressed and has got no room in their lives for anything else. It's interesting when God created Adam and Eve, the first day that they were alive, I can picture them waking up and saying, okay, God, what, what's on the schedule today? And God says, Sabbath, <laughs> you get to rest today. Today, oh, wow. before you've done any work, yeah. you get to rest. And out of that rest, the other six days of the week, they got to work. Well, I, I think about, I think of the Ten Commandments, the longest one is actually rest. And we treat it like an obligation, but it's, it's really given for our joy, for our flourishing. And then Jesus invites us to this rest. And, and then you get to the book of Hebrews that pictures entering into this rest. So it's a theme, I think. We begin not with doing, we begin with receiving the rest mm -hmm. that God has provided for us. And of course, most powerfully in the gospel, right? Jesus, I think you could summarize all of, of scripture, the whole story in a way by Jesus' invitation to come if we're weary and come to him for the rest that we're looking for. That's a picture, not just of, man, what was that about? Jesus had a day where he really got worried about, you know, we all look tired. That's mm -hmm. actually a picture of the whole Christian life. Jesus mm -hmm. inviting us to come to him. And instead of working for what we want, he gives it to us. All we have to do is come to him and receive it. There's work for us to do, but the work comes on the other side of receiving that rest. Mm. So last week was a really stressful week, and I was running on fumes on Friday and Saturday, and I found myself being really grumpy and and just... I was going to talk to you about them. Yeah. <laughs> You should have. I'm just kidding. No, you're not. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, you know, I found, just found myself not being in the spirit. And so I made a decision on Saturday night. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to second service tomorrow. I'm going to sleep in some more. So I'm going to get some sleep. And I have learned in the last, you know, couple of years to just clear every bit of work out of Sunday mm -hmm. so that I can actually rest on Sunday. And so when I woke up in the morning, I was still feeling like 
man, am I going to be renewed? But the song Sunday Morning Feeling, it's a current song that we're playing on the station, was going through my head, and I went to worship, and God just came down in worship, and he just renewed me and filled me. And, you know, the rest of the day, I just was able to rest. And it just happened so dramatically, really, from just a few days before. Yeah, and it, it I find it's hard work to rest, and it doesn't always go well at, at the beginning, right? But God meets us in those moments, and I love when God, we are just completely exhausted and empty, and we get away and we cry out to God. I love the stories of when God meets us in that. I have a friend, by the way, my boss, one of my bosses, I work for a church planting organization on the side, and he says sometimes he just does exactly what you did, Perry. He clears the schedule and goes to the lake for a day, and it looks so unproductive, and yet he comes back completely renewed and prepared to do more work than he would have if he just, you know, kept going and in a state of exhaustion. So it's hard for us to learn, though, because a lot of us just like to keep busy and we don't know how to rest. It's hard. So we've got eight habits. I'm wondering if you can go through the eight habits. Just give us a flyover and and just a short reason why that's important. Yeah. So the first one is to make time. And the, the whole idea of this is you've got to actually, you know, you can't do these habits without making a bit of room in your life to do them. So just clear off a little bit of time. Doesn't even have to be a lot. And then rest and refresh. We've been talking about that. The whole idea that the Christian life begins with rest. It begins with receiving what God invites us to receive, his, his presence and joy. The next three are really predictable. They're probably what you expected to read with a book like this. Mm-hmm. I talk about habit number three, engaging the Bible. Just a lot of us don't read scripture. We go to church and we hear scripture, and yet we don't during the week know how to read scripture. So just beginning to do that in a way that works for you, in a way that's not overwhelming for you. And then speaking with God, prayer. I love what Jared Wilson calls it. He calls it spilling your guts to God. Mm-hmm. So not this whole, you know, religious yeah. speak thing, but mm-hmm. just being honest with God about what's going on in your life, sharing with him what's on your mind, asking for his help. And then the whole habit five is about being part of the church. And I'm not talking about just going to church. I'm talking about being part of the community of God, his family, and receiving help from others, uh, really belonging to a church doing the one another commands of scripture. And then the final habits, care for your body, simplify and prioritize because, you know, that's habit seven. By that time you're overwhelmed. I've given you six (laughs) habits and I want to clear the cobwebs a little bit and just say, if you're feeling overwhelmed, what are some ways that you can simplify, you know, all these habits as you practice them in your life? And then the final habit is about going the distance, which is really building an owner's manual for your life. How can you build them into your life? I I was part of a panel one time and the pastor went through every person and said, you know, tell me about how you pray. Tell me about how you read scripture. All of them had different answers. Mm -hmm. They were all doing the same thing, but they were all doing them differently. So I love that picture of, you know, how can we customize these habits in our life and build a rule of life for ourselves? And I hear you saying, you know, with the simplify is how can I simplify these habits? as well, because we can make these habits more life-draining than life-giving. 
Yeah, that's right. I'm often thinking of the Pharisees who were amazing at keeping habits and yet completely missed the point. Mm. And the habits really aren't, this sounds horrible from somebody who wrote a book on habits. The habits aren't the point. Mm. Jesus is a point, right? Mm. The habits are only a means to getting to Jesus. And so every time we overfocus on the mechanics, I think we've got to redirect our attention and focus on Jesus instead. But let's talk about the last habit in your book. It's called build a rule of life. I think I get it, but I just want to make sure if I were to take a stab at it, I'd say it's about finding what it looks like for us personally to live out all of the habits. I think when we get information, I've seen this as built as a triangle before, you know, you get information and then you imitate that information and eventually you innovate. (laughs) That's what I see the build a rule of life is, is am I on the right page, Daryl? I'm stealing that. That's great. Okay. <laughs> I get it. I did it. And now I'm going to make it my own. When we, I think about a rule of life, I think about my wife. One time I went to her and I told her, "You real? I found this Bible reading program. You really need to follow it. I think you'll really like it. Well, she did. And she came back to me three months later. And she said, you've completely ruined my devotional life. <laughs> <laughs> she had something that was working for her that was very different from me. And I kind of imposed my system on her. Mm. And what I've learned is, you know, we're all so different. Some of us are morning people. Some of us are evening people or in between. And some of us are introverts. Some of us are extroverts. We have different demands. And I often think of, you know, a, a mother of young twins. And what does it look like for her to follow Jesus with, mm-hmm. you know, exhaustion? Mm-hmm. And so we've all got to figure out what does this look like in my life? It won't be the same, right? What works for me won't work for you. And so the final habit is really about figuring out how to customize it for your life to fit your personality, your circumstances, just what works for you, how God made you. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's challenging, by the way. A lot of people struggle with this. Yeah. I try to give some practical help to simplify it, make it really easy. But it's basically just finding what works for you. Well, and it's always it's always needing to morph and change, at least in my own life it has, because when you talked about the mom, I didn't have twins, but man, I had seasons of life where, you know, it just had to look very differently. You know, every time I changed a diaper, I prayed. Every time I washed my hands, I read a scripture, just things like that. But now, you know, and then I had the season where the kids were grown and I could sit and be alone with them with my markers and my coffee and my Bible, and it was quiet, all those things. But now that I'm doing the morning show, I'm up pretty stinking early. And so it's had to shift and change because I'd rather get up and crack open my Bible. But so it's not just even your personality, but it's season of life. It's kind of something you always have to be aware of and be ready to kind of shape shift a little bit. Hold it there, young lady. I don't want any of that language on this show. What did Stink- I say? You said stinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. One of the problems with books like this is they're written by people who love habits. And yeah. the reality is, most people aren't crazy about building habits. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the building the rule of life was really a way of like, man, I might like habits, but most people don't. So I've got to give them permission to figure out, yeah, exactly what works for you. We had somebody work for a professional hockey team here in Toronto and he was a head physiotherapist. He would be on the road with the athletes. And so it was really good because if I told him, you've got to read the Bible first thing every morning, he would say, I can't do that. Like mm-hmm. I'm on an airplane at five in the morning traveling back to Toronto, right? Yeah. So it's, yeah, exactly. It's it's figuring out what works for you. And yeah, I love that idea. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the Mandalorian 
the Disney series <laughs> Mandalorian? I have not. My son has. Okay. But okay. I haven't. So the Mandalorian, they're bounty hunters and but they they go by a code. They have a code. It's a code of honor and and he'll often say, This is the way, you know. This is the way of the Mandalorian. So this is how I'm relating our conversation. That's good. I need to watch that show, obviously. <laughs> One of the habits that I practice every single day is I preach the gospel to myself. I remind yeah. myself of the gospel because I, I just, I need it like a, more than life, more than air, more than food. I don't always realize that, but, but I have had enough experience in life that I know I need to root myself in the gospel in God's love for me. Yeah. You, you've heard the Martin Luther quote probably to uh, beat the gospel into our heads daily <laughs> yeah. because we forget daily. I love that quote. I think that's a great habit. Yeah, we forget. I'm going to call Moody, tell them we need to add a ninth habit. I think I need to add that one. That's good. <laughs> no, it's it's so, so important to do that. Well, because if we assume the gospel, at least this is what I've found in my life, if we assume the gospel and then we just start doing habits, then it's just, it can become a way to get God's favor rather than as a way to live loved. Absolutely. And again, in this book, I, I write about the, the clean slate policy, right? We won't get these habits perfectly. That is not the point. You know, I've never had a perfect date with my wife. <laughs> I've tried, but you know, I've never been able to pull it off. But she's still delighted that I try to meet with her and mm -hmm. go out with her mm -hmm. and pursue that relationship. What a picture of God, right? Oh, we that. don't ever get it perfect, mm -hmm. but God delights in us coming to him as children come to a father. He just loves it. We don't do it perfectly, but he just loves that we keep coming. And he's got all the patience in the world to put up with our shortcomings as we, we come with our mess to him. Which one has been the hardest for you? You know, for me, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I think it would yeah. be the rest and refresh. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just tend to overdo things, right? I overschedule my life. I try to do too much. And so for me, it's always coming back to, I am not what I do. I am, I am who I am. Yeah. My identity with Christ is not based on my work, but on, on the work of Jesus. So yeah, for me, it would definitely be number two, resting and refreshing. I, I that's a hard one for me. Are you familiar with the Enneagram personality profile? Oh yeah. I'm a three. For <laughs> oh! yeah. fellow three. You got a fellow three there. I'm a nine there. I'll keep peace with y'all. Oh, my um, wife's a nine. I love nines. I, I think us threes need nines. They slow us down in a yeah. good way. Hold it. I'm a three. Sean is a nine. Yeah. My wife is a nine. This is this is There's this is wild. To the three nine combination yep. going on. There. Oh, there is. Yeah. Um, you know, if you don't understand it, it frustrates you. And then when you begin to understand the enneagram, it's like, oh, I get it now. I needed this. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, we need each other. That's God's good plan. Absolutely. And if you don't know what the Enneagram is, just Google it and you'll be on the same page. Thanks for listening to Perry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.